morning. Mm, we'll, do it, we'll do it two times. Good morning to you. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you today on this fine day. You guys made it with all the rerouting of traffic, right? The train tracks closed, barricades up, but you're here. I was getting text messages from people who were like, I can't figure out how to get to church today. You made it. All right. Well done, ladies and gents. Uh, if this is your first time here, we're so glad to have you here today. Like I said, my name is Andy. If we haven't had a chance to meet, um, I want to call, before we get into the message today, it's worth mentioning to you that we as a church are moving, right? And we are excited about that. We're pumped about that. And, and whether you recognize it or not, especially if this is your first time, you may be looking around and saying, uh, uh, why? Like, what's the big deal? But, you know, on, on many Sundays, we're, we're running out of room seats-wise. We're really running out of room with kids' ministry. We have no room in the lobby, and there are also just some logistical challenges facility-wise with getting to restrooms and all the different things, parking with citywide events that are happening and all the wonderful things taking place. And so we are actually very excited right, to be growing and also to be moving to Kennesaw Elementary School, which is just down the street, okay? So we're not moving far. Uh, we're still in the general vicinity, uh, but we are really, really excited about that big move. Put your hands together, everybody. Come on now. We're moving, and we are pumped about it. The reason we're doing that is because of the mission that God has called us to as a church, we're in a teaching series that we've started called That Wasn't On My Bingo Card and Other Things I Didn't See Coming. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that everybody here has played bingo at one point or another. Everybody has played bingo or some version of it. You've got your nice little bingo card, right? And, you know, B9, right? And you've put your, you put your token on it. And, and it, I mean, some of you... Are you a sloppy bingo player? You know what I'm talking about? Where you said the tokens kind of just flopped out there and they're not like really in the center of the block. Oh, oh, talk about stressful. We've got prizes on the line here, people. You better not have a sloppy bingo card, okay? We all know this, right? If you go to like an elementary school and they, they let you get, sometimes they have bingo night at, at, at our kids' school and you can get like multiple cards, right? And so you've got like six I mean, we had as many as we could get. We, I was here to win. I'm here to play, people, right? And they'll call the letter out, and you don't have much time, right? So you're, you know, you're, you, it's stressful, right? And you're getting all the things out, and you're looking B9, O, 13, you know, and, and, and do you have it? Do you have it? And everyone's kind of stressed out because they have so many cards, and they're trying to play all of them, and your card can get a little messy. Nobody wants a messy bingo card, please. Now, we, we like it, don't we? It's got the nice little tight squares. You put the token in the middle, and you connect the dots. Bingo, the straight line. It's all nice and crisp and clean. And if there's ever a great picture of, of kind of life for, for many of us, especially as, as Westerners, oh, we love things to fit inside those nice little tight, clean boxes, don't we? We love it to be predictable, we love it to be comfortable. We love it to be safe. Life is B9. No problem. Let me just get my token and 
boop, I'll put it right there. And, and here's the I column and N and G. And, and here's the straight line, except life never actually feels like a nice, clean, straight line. That isn't real life. Whether you're in middle school, whether you're in high school, whether you're 19 or 95, life is rarely ever clean, crisp, and just predictable. It's messy. It's outside the lines. It's uncomfortable. In fact, as we turn to the scriptures today, that wasn't on my bingo card and other things I didn't see coming, right? What we're talking about is is the surprises, the surprise moments, the, the challenging moments, the I didn't see that coming moment with God and with Jesus, which, by the way, is all the time. That's right. And when we talk about the disciples, which we'll hear about here in just a minute, how many times were they confused by what Jesus was saying? How many times were they puzzled? How many times did they get it completely wrong? How many times did they misunderstand, misinterpret? How many times did they take steps of action in a direction where Jesus is like, no, you you guys, you've got this all wrong. The people closest to Jesus got it wrong on a regular basis. And yes, even if you've put your faith in Jesus today, and if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you can still get it wrong. We can still have plenty of moments where we're wondering what God is doing. Where are you? What's happening? I didn't see this coming. Father, be with us as we get into your word today. God, help us to be a people that love you, that long for more of you, that grow to become more like you. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for this church. God, a growing church. And and God, we ask that you would use us in our community. God, use us in our city. Use us in this world. Lord, open our eyes to you today. Let the word Uh, let it ring true, let it move deeply in our hearts today, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Turn to Acts chapter one as we get into the the book of Acts today. Luke, one of the the Jesus' disciples, actually not yet in this moment, but, but Luke is a doctor and he wrote the book of Luke and he also wrote the book of Acts. And here we have this person who's attentive to detail, who is talking about what happened after the resurrection. We're a couple weeks after Easter Sunday now, right? And so we're kind of trying to to kind of stick roughly to to a similar timeline as as the early disciples would have, right? We're a couple weeks past the, the resurrection, the empty tomb. Jesus has ascended from the grave And he has begun appearing to his disciples again. And he does so for uh, several weeks. And this is what Jesus has to say in Acts chapter 1, or really Luke initially. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the father said by his own authority. Verse eight, and the theme of the entire book of Acts is right here. Here's the theme. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And everybody said, amen. amen. You're like, I don't know what I just said amen to. What, what's, I don't understand it. Explain it to me. Teach it to me. What, what's happening here? The book of Acts, might I add, is divided up moving forward into these sections. In case you didn't know, ministry to Jerusalem, ministry to Judea and Samaria, and ministry uh, to the ends of the earth, the, 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 the perimeter of the Roman Empire. And so we see the book of Acts, and then we have uh, Paul's uh, trial. But the whole book of Acts is divided up so that we might see the move of the Holy Spirit as God is ministering to who? People in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the grave. Jesus is eating like the risen Savior's having lunch, right? He's hang you're hanging out. You're talking. He's giving convincing proofs that he rose from the grave, that he is alive, that he is who he says he is. And then he looks at you and he says, you guys, here's the deal. You need to go to Jerusalem and you need to stay there until you receive the gift that I've promised you. And that promise is the Holy Spirit. You need to go and you need to just wait because when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be filled with what? Power. And that power will give you the ability to be a witness of me to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. People, hang tight. I know, you, I know you've got business to get to. I know you've got life to get to. I know you've been surprised and shocked and you didn't see this coming. You didn't see the resurrection coming. Guess what? You're not going to see this coming either. But what I'm telling you is stay in the city because the Holy Spirit is coming. And when it comes upon you, you're going to be filled with power. And that power is going to give you the ability to be my witness. In short, the Holy Spirit gives you power to do what? To share Jesus with the world. The Holy Spirit gives you power to share Jesus with the world. So here's what happened in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. They're in Jerusalem. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Okay, this is wild. Can we just say that the Bible's wild every once in a while? God is wild, okay? You've got about 120 people hanging out, a room kind of like this. And they're praying, maybe eating, but they've been waiting. They're doing what Jesus has asked them to do, and, and, and they're doing it now at the Feast of the Harvest. It's Pentecost. Pentecost didn't get a name because of what happened here. Jews were already coming together. They were there in Jerusalem during the crucifixion, during Passover, and they're here for the Feast of the Harvest that's taking place, now called Pentecost. And Jews come together and they celebrate the first fruits of the harvest and they are giving thanks to God. And you've got a, a group of Jews, about 120 in the room, and they, they've been discipled and they're following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes like a wrecking ball. I could sing the song for you, but I won't. Okay, we won't. Won't do that. The word dynamite comes from the Greek word dunamos, which is what we see right here. In other words, the Holy Spirit has this dunamos moment that's explosive, like a stick of dynamite, and it's where we get the word dynamite from. And boom, the Holy Spirit comes, and, and, and tongues of fire are resting on the heads of the disciples. And what begins to happen? They start to speak in tongues, and other people are hearing what they're saying be, be interpreted in, in their own language, and it's this miraculous move of God. It's a miracle. It's a power encounter. It's also a moment where you have all of these Jewish people from so many different countries in different cities, in different communities, they're all here at one time at the Feast of the Harvest. And the Holy Spirit hits like a stick of dynamite. And I love what God does in this moment because these people are getting ready to leave Jerusalem. They don't live here. They're filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in the history of the world. And where are they getting ready to go? Back home to their different cities and different communities and different nations and different countries. And here they are in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the harvest. God, thank you for bringing in the harvest. And, and, and what they're leaving doing is the very thing that Jesus said to Peter. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you somebody who can fish for people. And so now they're here to celebrate the harvest and they actually leave passionate about bringing in the harvest. It's an amazing redefining moment. It's a celebration, not of a harvest of crops, but a harvest of people. The Messiah, the Savior of all mankind is bringing in the harvest. He is saving people from the pit of despair from hell, from, a, from the, the wreckage of their life. He has brought salvation. 
Can you believe it? Oh, we came to celebrate this harvest, but we are celebrating this harvest. God, thank you. Chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven. After the Holy Spirit fills them, he raised his voice and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the accusation is, these guys are liquored up. These guys are drunk. No, that's not what's going on. It's only nine in the morning, Peter says. Nope, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophesy. Tongues. Spiritual gifts. Visions. Pouring out of the spirit. What? is going on. This wasn't on my bingo card. Wasn't planning for this. The power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that empowerment do? Let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit gives you power to share Jesus with the world. The Holy Spirit hits and Peter stands up who's instantly transformed, might I add, and he preaches the very first sermon. And he lets them know, hey, nobody is drunk here. This is the power of the Spirit. This was actually foretold hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the prophet Joel that that there'd be an outpouring of God's Spirit on men and women. And who is it for? Who are the people to receive this Spirit, church? Is it just these people? Is it just those in Acts? No. He is talking about, yes, the people right there, And he's also talking about you. You are who the Bible has been foretelling this outpouring of the Holy Spirit moment about. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit. And they'll prophesy. The word prophecy, by the way, is to speak the things of God in this moment. We're not talking crystal balls and foretelling, you know, fortune-telling moments in this moment. Although God does use people to do that. We see that in the scriptures. We see a powerful move of God at Pentecost. Acts 2.41, those who accepted Peter's message, he talks about Jesus being the Lord and Savior, the risen one, and all these people respond. How many? 3,000 men were added to their number that day. They were baptized, and and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I've wrestled with this message, and I've wrestled with it a lot. I've wrestled with these conversations because 
we're talking about the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about what God did 2,000 years ago, but we're also talking about what God is still doing today. And these kinds of conversations can become uncomfortable for us. Right? Because we're talking about territory that doesn't fit inside the nice B9 square of your bingo card. Right? It, 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 it's, it's uncomfortable. We don't understand fully how God wants to work in all of these moments and what's he doing and I, I can't quite tell. And, and it requires a, a being led by the Holy Spirit in your life in order to really understand and, and in order to, to really grasp what God is doing. And even then at times, there have been so many moments in my own life where I didn't see what God was doing and it was only after the fact, oh my gosh. Look how God was at work there, and I didn't see it. Look what God was up to, and I, I didn't sense it. I didn't feel it. Some of you know what it's like to, to be confused, to be puzzled in your job situation. Some of you are going through divorces. You're wondering where God is. Some of you are, 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 are wrestling through things in your marriage. We all know if you're, if you're married, things aren't clean. It's not always easy. It's messy. You got to work through stuff. In your parenting, in your pain, in your challenge, in your hurt, in your hopelessness, in your great times, in your bad times. God, where are you? How are you at work? Lord, where is your Holy Spirit? What are you trying to do in my life and through my life? God, what are you up to here? I don't see it. And in the same way, these people were in the upper room. They, they weren't ready. They were not ready for the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit and when it came. But it doesn't change the fact that it came. And when it did, it radically changed and transformed them. And you've got 3,000 people who encounter a preaching sermon from Peter and they respond. I have never preached in front of a crowd of that size. Preach in front of maybe 1,500, 2,000. No, that's probably too high. 1,500 felt like a huge crowd. I can't fathom 3,000 plus like kids, plus families, plus all the things. I can't wrap my head around it. And then I can't fathom, right, an altar call. You're like, who wants to respond? And 3,000 people are like, yeah, me. Where's the water? Let's get baptized. Boom. I'd be like, hey, you're, you're baptizing people. You're baptizing people. You're baptizing people. Like, you just got put in charge, right? You just got, you just got a promotion, right? You're an elder in the church now. You're a deacon. Like, bam, 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 bam. Like, you got to get some help here, Right? But the Spirit of God is moving. And in the pages to follow, I want you to hear this. What you're going to see is the, is the early church getting established. And you're going to see the, the, the testimony of Saul as, as he, he, he becomes a Christian and becomes an evangelist, an apostle. He begins to plant churches in Ephesus and Galatia. It's extraordinary. But what happened to these 3,000 people? What happened to them? 
Where'd they go? You ever think about it? They're not the only 3,000 that are going to be added. There are going to be thousands more in the days to follow. And you don't hear a word about them. There's no super apostle, right, that's rising from the midst. The pages of the scriptures, we give us, we have the story of, of the 12 for the most part, and largely Paul. And we get to follow the church being established westward. But we don't even know many times because we're unfamiliar with church history. How did the church get to Rome, for instance? We've got a whole letter where Paul writes to the church in Rome. Paul didn't write, he didn't, he didn't start the church in Rome. We have no idea how the church in Rome got started. But by the time Paul wrote letters there, which was about 40 to 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus, there are multiple churches in Rome. There are multiple churches in all of these cities. And many of them have not been started or established by the apostles. How did these churches get started? How on earth did a move of God that transformed literally the face of the planet, how did this happen? It's because 3,000 people have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit empower you to do? It empowers you to share Jesus with the world. And when people left and they went back home, you know what they did? They walked in the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know their names, but we know many of them were businessmen. Many of them were businesswomen. And you have the Silk Road, right? And you have the, the westward trade routes. And churches are beginning to get established along the way through ordinary people like you and me who are hungry and passionate about what Jesus might do in their life. And the world was turned upside down because of it. I'm not making light of what Paul did. I'm not making light of what the apostles did. But you need to know this church. We have evidence. We have buildings. We have writings. We have statues. We have all kinds of archaeology that takes us back to within decades of this moment with no apostles doing the heavy lifting. It's people like you and me who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and God shows up like a stick of dynamite in the power of the Holy Spirit and he changes people when they hear about Jesus. When they hear the news about the saving grace of Jesus. They're changed by it. What might God want to do through your life. What might God want to do in your middle school? What might God want to do in your high school, in your neighborhood? What might God want to do? Because the same, peop the same kind of people who receive the Holy Spirit are the same kind of people right now who receive the Holy Spirit as well. You're no different. 
The same outpouring of the Spirit that Peter is speaking of is the same outpouring of the Spirit that you and I get today. And yes, that also includes, while uncomfortable at times, the power of the Spirit in ways that defy logic, understanding, that are in fact miraculous, that includes not only the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit at work. The outpouring of the Spirit, it is an amazing thing, and that's why it's dunamos. Boom! There's nothing like it. In just a few decades, the gospel would make its way to Paris. Which, if you're sitting here like, Paris? I've never even thought about when Paris started. Yeah, it existed right here, already in seed form. Wouldn't be long before London, Ireland, and the gospel just began to move like fire, like tongues of fire. Boom! And what's crazy, while we don't have great information and data, right? I'm a data guy. We don't have a ton regarding the historicity of these early, early churches, 10, 20, 30 years after church. Once you get, once you, once you get into like 200 AD, 300 AD, it's amazing how much information we actually have about some of these churches. And I want you to hear this, church. I want you to hear that, that so many of these encounters with God are marked with an outpouring of the Spirit that inflames people with mission. They feel excited about being sent out and doing God's work in the midst of His people. So they're marked by mission and they're marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. So many accounts have miracles, signs, and wonders. So many. I was having a conversation in the parking lot with somebody before church started, and we, we were talking about Western Christianity and how, for the most part, when we, when we see drift away from, from coming to church and drift away from really being passionate about God, sometimes it gets put under the label of, of I've been burned by the church. I actually don't think there's nearly as many people who've been burned and hurt by church as there are people who are bored by it. Because they have never encountered the Holy Spirit in such a way that it feels like something explosive in their life. They've never tasted the mission of God in their life, the presence of God. Oh yes, we love to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are safe. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We all love that, right? But you know how you start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit where things can be abused, where people have, have taken advantage of situations, right? Where things become uncomfortable, where things move beyond our realm of control. And now things begin to change. But the same outpouring of the Spirit 
that was available then is the same outpouring of the Spirit that is available now. And the same need that the world had for missionaries, normal people living in normal contexts, being faithful to what God has given them. The same need that our communities had then are the same needs that we have now. We need people who will walk in the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to share Jesus with the world. That's what we need. Why don't we experience the Holy Spirit like that? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Well, I'm going to ask a general question for Western Christianity. Why don't we encounter God like we see him so many times in the Bible? Why is that? I have a, a, a backyard that's, you know, kind of slopes and it's kind of big, and I have trees galore back there. And there's brush, and some of you have come over with chainsaws, and you've cut the bejesus out of my yard, and I've got logs everywhere, and all these things, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. But, you know, you wait for the weather to get to, you know, right, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to burn all this stuff. And I love to burn stuff. Okay. I'm one of the people that can just like stare at the fire. You know, I just, I love it. It's, it's like, it's like hyp, hypnotic, right? So my backyard is a blaze, right? I have so much brush. I still have more stuff to burn. Okay. But I'm just, I got my gloves on, my dogs with me, my, all the family's out of town. So I just, I'm just crushing the backyard. You know, I got all the time in the world and I'm burning anything and everything I can get my hands on. You know, old soccer balls that we don't want anymore, throw it in the fire. You know, a bucket, throw it in there. Come on, it's just woof, right? It's this engulfing flame in the backyard. And it's taking over, right? It's, it's a powerful fire. And then I bend over and I pick up this big piece of brush. And underneath it is a nest of snakes. Specifically, baby snakes. Right? <laughs> I start doing this action. You know, I start backpedaling. Whoa! Right? Like, you immediately, whoop. Right? My dog, I looked for the dog. She wasn't even, she was like not even in the same county anymore. Right? I literally took a picture of her. She went and just, she just sat up on the porch. She's like, deuces, I'm out of here. I'm not sticking around for this. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm, I'm doing what you're supposed to do. I'm, I'm poking this thing. I'm, I'm poking the snake. Like, like, come on, let's do this. We're going to fight? Let's fight. You're going in the fire too, right? <laughs> but here's what happened. I had reached down in the little nest of baby snakes, and I got that thing tended to, and it got, it got taken care of. But now guess what happened? As I'm trying to now drag other stuff to that fire, you know what I am? I'm so much more cautious now. Ooh, I got spooked right here. I didn't see that coming. Ooh, there's a nest of snakes right here. And, and, and surprise, shock. Oh, and now all of a sudden, I, I'm a lot more hesitant, and I'm a, I'm a lot more measured, and I'm a lot more controlled, and I'm a lot more careful, and I'm a lot more all the things. 
And what's amazing is the fire that was so big and roaring, now that I'm taking all of this time to be so careful and measured and controlled, I turn around and the fire is going out because it's taken me so long to get other stuff put back on there to keep it going. The fire is beginning to dwindle all because I'm, I'm being so fearful and controlled and measured. And I'm not saying today, church, that we should just be sloppy or just run around like a bunch of Holy Spirit crazed people. I am not advocating for that. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that many times in the West, in Western experience of faith, we are afraid to lose control. We're afraid of, of what things might look like if dot, dot, dot. And so, and so we have to keep our hand on it and we've got to be in control of it. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes with power. And with that power comes spiritual gifts. And with that power comes a reckless abandonment at times of our own safety and, and self-security for the sake of God's mission. For the sake of others. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes. God, I'm desperate for dot, dot, dot. God, I'm hungry for dot, dot, dot. God, however you want to use me, use me. God, however you want to fill me, fill me. God, have your way. Whatever it takes, use me, God. Fill me with your spirit. Pour out, God. John the Baptist's birth is marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very same Spirit makes Mary conceive miraculously. When Mary visits Elizabeth, her cousin, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, is filled with the Spirit. And what does he do? He prophesies that outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The Spirit takes the disciple Philip to the road where he evangelizes and baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit opens Peter's eyes to the Gentiles and gives him fresh mission. The Spirit moves the church in Antioch to send their best leaders on the first missionary journey. The Spirit leads Paul and Silas to Macedonia away from the route that they'd planned. We see mission, we see power, and we see God's presence all being defined in this moment through the Holy Spirit. What does God want to do through you? This isn't just the Hall of Fame pages of the Bible that we read about and we're like, wow, awesome for them. What a great account. I'm so glad it's in the Bible. I'm encouraged to hear about the God that we serve. Look what he's done. No, 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 no. Yes, look what he's done. But what does he still want to do? He's not finished. He's still at work. How is he going to move and how is he going to work? By filling his people with the Spirit of God, with a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. Are you hungry for that? Do you desire that? 
Do you long for it? If the answer is no, there's a great chance that you're holding on tightly to something else. And it's time to let go and let Jesus and the Spirit of God be in control of your life. Father, I pray right now for this church. Pray for our church. God, I pray for a mighty outpouring of the Spirit in this place, in this church. God, I pray for your Spirit to fill us while we're in our cars and driving. I pray for the Spirit of God to fill us when we're at the kitchen table and as we're at our homes and as we're reading our our Bibles and as we're praying. God, I pray for your very Spirit to pour out in miracles, signs, and wonders. Lord, I pray for miraculous healings to come through this body and through this church. Lord, we pray for the teens and this generation of young people that they would encounter you in a real, life-changing, tangible, dynamite kind of way. Lord, that they wouldn't be bored with faith. Lord, that they wouldn't be burned out on faith. Lord, but that they would be burning on the inside. Lord, hungry for more of you, desperate to be used by you. God, let us be a people like that. God, let us be a people like that. Pour your spirit out upon us, Lord. It's in your name.